0: The most interesting transformation I would say is somebody who worked as a doctor and she had that sunken cost feeling of like, I went to medical school, I worked so hard to get here. And she ended up working in fashion. That was her real dream. And took her, she she started as a coordinator making probably 60, 70 K a year out of being a doctor, which was a huge leap of vulnerability and faith and trust. And she was like 35 when she did it. Now she's like 42, so seven years ago and she's like running fashion week and doing all these things for her brand and she loves it, she's so alive. So backing up is not always backing down and we have to remember that. 10 Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt,
1: save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in 5, four, three, two, 1. Journey to Launch is supported by First Republic Bank. A seamless banking experience is something we all want, but what does it really mean? At First Republic, it means you have access to your own personal banker, someone who knows your name and is there for you when you need them. I know at any time, I can just reach out to my personal banker, Linda, with any questions that I have. It's amazing to know that I won't get the runaround by the automated voice recordings and number prompts that lead you to a dead end, that I don't have to be put on hold for hours before I can speak to an actual person. Whether you're browsing their full suite of services or just have questions about your bank statement, you can reach out to your personal banker by phone or email and through the Best in Class banking app. See what a difference an always-on seamless banking experience can make for you. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Journeyers, I'm so excited for you to be tuning in to this conversation with today's special guest, Ashley Stahl, who is a counterterrorism professional turned career coach. She's a spokesperson, author of the best-selling book "U-Turn: Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career." Through her two viral TEDx speeches, her online courses, her email list, and her show, the U-Turn Podcast, she's been able to support clients in 31 countries in discovering their best career path upgrading their confidence, and landing more job offers. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. So Ashley, we got a chance to talk at a pro- in a project that we did together, I think it was, yeah, this past summer. And I'm really excited to bring you on my podcast because I feel like you had such wisdom about the topic that a lot of people who listen to this show are searching for, finding purpose Finding a job or a career, like the way we make money, like having that in alignment with our gifts and our strengths, which is so important because we spend a majority of our life working. And even though a lot of people who listen to this show want to retire early or reach financial independence, the ultimate goal is to just love what you do, so it doesn't even feel like you have to leave work, right? Like work intertwines because it's your passion. Um, so I'd love, love, love to definitely go there with you, so we can help listeners find that for themselves, but. Let's start with the background. Your background is pretty incredible. I was reading on your website that you were a triple major.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. Not because I was an overachiever, just because I was like, I couldn't commit
1: and I didn't know who I was. So I just picked everything. (laughs) Wow. So you, yeah, so I see triple major in government history and French. And I love that you just said you couldn't commit. So you just picked it all. And that still like, that is pretty impressive. But eventually you landed um, in the realm of counterterrorism. I'd love for you to talk about like that transition from graduating to how you found yourself in that career path.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was in college, this weird moment where I was like, you know, what do I want to study? And I went to career services and hoped that the counselor could help me. And she said all of the things that we always hear, follow your passion, follow your bliss, do what you love. And I just remember thinking like, I love cupcakes and massages, but I'd be a horrible baker and really a bad masseuse. So how does loving something translate into being gifted at it? And this question was at the core of my being for so many years. Um, But what guided me into counterterrorism was that 9-11 happened when I was in that very formative time, in the same way that I think the pandemic has impacted Gen Z in their job search in their college years, I think the recession impacted the millennial generation and 9-11 impacted the millennial generation, like 2001, 2008. I think those years really formed us. And so, you know, everyone kind of remembers where they were standing on the day of 9-11. And so I remember thinking about my family on the East Coast Worrying about them and always being, you know, fascinated by different cultures, different languages. And there's something in my brain that just made a decision and said, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to help with this. I wanted to feel like I mattered. I wanted to feel like I was going to make an impact. And looking back, you know, you were talking about loving what you do. I think that if you like or love what you do, like 75, 80% of the time, you're doing awesome. And I think the, the pressure to, to love every ounce of what you do is what gets people really stuck. I even think it happens in relationships. People are choosing to marry a life partner and they're like, you know, maybe something is missing and they want to listen to their intuition. But also you're dealing with a real human. There's so many different facets. It's, it's just like your career. And so it's not about loving everything. It's about loving enough, being happy enough. And so I ended up pursuing counterterrorism all the way. I went to grad school for it, learned the languages for it, and when I finally got there, I, you know, moved to Washington D.C. I had like three thousand dollars in my bank account, and I networked my face off. Like I went to every networking event in the city. The cool thing about the, the district is that you can have three square meals a day for free off of networking because it's just such a busy city full of events. And I fell on my face. I said the wrong things. And eventually, I learned how to talk to people and get opportunities. And my, I, weighed, I made my way over to the Pentagon running a program relating to Afghanistan. And it was interesting. I Working in counterterrorism, you learn a lot about intuition. You learn about intuition to save your own life. And so I was taught how to hone my intuition, how to listen to myself, how to gauge other people. And eventually that made me really intuitive with my friends. That made me really intuitive with people in my life. And it started translating into me giving advice for people in how to really listen to themselves. And I think when you're not fulfilled in your career, a lot of that just has to do with you're not listening to yourself. And so I think that the vehicle for fulfillment is your intuition. And if you're not knowing what you know and listening to what you know, a lot of the times you're walking on a path that isn't yours. And that's what causes burnout.
1: Yeah. Actually, I I love all of that. Now, when let's talk about intuition a bit, because I find that we've been conditioned, you know, as adults, and especially as women, to kind of like push our intuitions to the side, right? It's for the betterment of everyone else, the community, like the greater good versus like what we need. And so we usually start doing things or saying things to present ourselves in a way that it's like not our true selves. So how do you know when it's your intuition versus your ego or something else talking to you to to tell you like, oh, like, do you not like this job because it's difficult and it's challenging or like really this is not something you should be doing?
0: Yeah, I love this question. So to me, intuition is absolute. It's knowing what you know without knowing why you know it. And so what that looks like is basic feedback. It looks like this feels good for me. This is not good for me. Something feels off. This feels right. Ego is more communicative. It's more dramatic. It's more fear-based. So your ego is, there's a difference between feeling something and emoting something. Like Let's say you feel hot outside. You can just say, I feel hot. Emoting looks like, oh my gosh, it's hot outside. I'm going to get a sunburn. Then I'm going to have to go to the dermatologist because I might have skin cancer. And It spirals out. That's how your ego works. Your intuition is more about feeling this feels good, this doesn't feel good. Your ego is more about spiraling out, having stories, catastrophizing, tripping, panicking. Your intuition is friendly, it's just a feedback tool. Um, At any given moment, you can turn to it. And the problem is that a lot of us, you know, say that we want clarity in our careers or our lives. And the work is not just about clarity, it's about connecting to yourself. So if you don't feel like you have access to your intuition, the first order of business is just to start doing things that make you feel like you again, um, because chances are you've gotten a little too far off. So that can look like having conversations with people that resonate for you. That can look like, you know, for me, um, I come from Los Angeles. So anytime I felt off, I would go to the beach. I put my feet in the ocean. I felt like me again. The ocean was such a regulator for me. So really asking yourself, what regulates you? What brings you home to yourself? Who is it? I have a lot of girlfriends that I love. There's a few in particular. I'm me again when I'm with them. And so it's just paying attention to those things and making a point to make space for those things because when you're you, you start to feel good. And when you feel good, you start to get more into calibration with yourself. And you start to notice what feels like a no and what feels like a yes. And your body, your intuition is such a feedback mechanism for that, especially because your gut, which you know scientists now call your second brain, has more than 200 million neurons in it. So, you know, that's the size of a cat or dog's brain. So what we can assume here is that there's an intelligence to when your stomach sinks, when you have butterflies. And the work is just to listen to that.
1: So when you were in your career working in counterterrorism, while you were honing your intuition, learning how to follow your gut, because this was like literally like a life or death situation in your job, in your career, and- I do want to say this because I feel like this is one of the first questions I had for you. So it's this is gonna actually veer up before we get to this like the more serious question. But was your job anything like the homeland uh show? Because for people for me, when the first time I heard that you did that, I was like the only the only thing that I know other than, you know, the news is like the sensationalized show Homeland. And you had such a great answer to that when I asked you for four. So I'd love for you to tell Journeyers about it.
0: Oh my gosh. I don't even remember my own answer. So I wonder (laughs) what I did tell you. But what I can say is that um, I think it was the book I I read in history class in high school called The Things They Carried by, I believe, O'Brien, I want to say his name. And I'm so impressed if I remember that. But it was a war book. And he said in the book as a soldier, he said, it's the crazy things that are the true ones. And it's the small things that aren't even that real. And um, so I do think that we live in a crazy world and people who are putting themselves on the front lines of terrorism, counterterrorism efforts are are heroes. And so there is a lot of crazy that is real. But what I will say is that I left my job when it was time for me to transition into that direction. So yeah, that sensationalized show is definitely, there's definitely some reality to it. In national security, they would call me a honey trap, which is a woman who can use her beauty or skill to be liked and get information. I left the field when it was time for me to travel to scary places because I just realized that who I am was way too sensitive for that line of work. But what did I tell you in our first interview?
1: Yeah, well, it was similar to that. It was just similar to things were getting for you really serious and real. And I think this is now back to the question I was first asking before we took that little detour was about your own intuition. So you are now in this career and you realized something was off, like you didn't want to continue down that path. So what did you do? How did you step off of that train and find this alternate path that you're on?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so getting into national security was a whole thing. I graduated during the recession from my graduate school. I went to the Department of War Studies at King's College in London. It's really known to be a place where governments will cherry pick you to work in intelligence. So that's why I chose it. I went back to L.A. before I made my way to the Pentagon, and I couldn't get a job offer to save my life. I slept slept on my parents' couch. You know, nobody could get a job at the time. I remember believing the myth that I should just take what I could get. So I eventually accepted an admin job before I made my way to the Pentagon. And what got me into D.C. in the first place was I called my university and I said, hey, do you have a list of people who have graduated and worked in Washington, D.C.? And the government department sent me 2,000 names and emails of alumni who moved to Washington, D.C. And I worked my way through that list of 2,000 people when I moved to Washington, D.C. So not only was I going to networking events, I was working my way through a list of 2,000 people who went to my school. And I learned how to be an incredible job seeker. And looking back, it wasn't even job hunting. It was just someone who can create opportunities through talking to people. So that works in business, too how to have conversations that are effective, how to be yourself in a conversation. That's the most important thing to me. Too many people have too many agendas and they don't enjoy networking because who enjoys having an agenda? No one. So I learned how to talk to people. I started helping all my friends on the side when I was at the Pentagon and they were like, how did you get a job making nearly six figures at 24 years old from being an assistant? You know, I was making minimum wage before that. And it was such a huge jump in a six week job hunt that I started helping my friends and I loved it. I loved helping them. They all got job offers and raises in the recession in 2009, 2010. And so they would all say to me, you should be a career coach. And coaches were not a trendy thing back then. There were none, just a few. And I was like, I'm 24, I'm 25 years old. Like, what does that even mean to be a coach? And then I eventually got the courage to quit my job, move home to Los Angeles. I took one more job doing private intelligence. And on the side, I started going to therapy, healing from what it felt like to spend years learning languages and devoting myself to a career path with student loans and all the things that weren't working for me. And I started my business. And about eight months into that next job after the Pentagon, I was able to start the process of leaving. And I got a TED Talk, I became a speaker, and I filled my practice. And that turned into online programs and books and my podcast and all the things.
1: So I'd love for you to talk about like working up to quitting, because you found that there was something you were good at that you enjoyed doing that you can make money from. But how did you prepare yourself financially to leave that situation? Because I feel like a lot of people will have an idea, but that ramp up like that, what it takes to get to that and to end up quitting their job, like they need more guidance on what that looks like.
0: Yeah. You know, you would be a better person for me to ask about this sort of thing because you're so responsible and financial responsibility has been something that I've had to work on my whole life because I grew up in a very financially unstable home. I had an amazing set of parents and siblings, but my dad was horrible at managing money and I inherited that and so my strategy i think because i grew up with a very activated nervous system a comfort zone for me was burning the bridges behind me not meaning souring relationships but fully going on to a new path without looking back so i remember when i got my first few clients i had the courage i was like i'm going to leave my job and i'm going to go all the way in and i'm the type of person it used to be out of fear you know working out of fear like and, and it reminds me of the quote by rumi move out of love not out of fear let love be the way you move so i was out of fear but and it works that's the thing we're both we're we're like cars driving around the world we can fill our gas tank with fear or failure and we can get pretty far it's just a lot more fun when you fill your gas tank with inspiration so most of my 20s i was in fear but i hustled so hard because of it um so i didn't really prepare now i'm a big advocate for the part-time job, I would say anyone who wants to transition ask yourself, is there a way for you to work part-time so you can free up your schedule and cover your finances and eventually transition full-time into whatever you're doing.
1: That's solid. That's solid advice and again, it goes back to you had viable clients, like you saw that path, it was pretty clear for you for you to like kind of like step over and do something different. Now, I'd love for you to talk through a bit more about like this idea of the U-turn. What if you discover that like what you're supposed to be doing is totally different from where you are now in your career, right? And you have no connections or you feel like you have no connections in this next career that you want. Because when you talk about U-turns, it doesn't mean that you have to become an entrepreneur, right? Like you can literally still work in a corporate setting or job, but just it could be a different It could be a different company. It could be, you know, a different track. So what does that look like, though, when you do want to switch or change and you don't feel like you have the knowledge or the connections to do that?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, nobody comes out of the womb with connections, even if their family or parents have connections. It's I used to hear the quote, it's not about who, you know, it's about who knows you. And because sometimes people are like, I know this person, but that other person would never do anything for them. They wouldn't help them out. I would take it further and say it's not about who you know or who knows you. It's about who invests in you, and you need to create real relationships to have that. So I've really come to see conversations and being open-hearted and talking to people as a way of life. And whenever I want more clarity in my life, I know that that means I just need to have more conversations. And pardon me, I feel like I'm going on a tangent. Tell me your question one more time, because I just started thinking and talking.
1: Well, it's more about like, how do you create those connections? How do you get and create those meaningful conversations?
0: Yeah. So I think like, because I believe networking is a way of life, it's about taking your head out of your phone. And it's not about being on all the time and kind of like fight or flight trying to find people to talk to. It's just about being available all the time. Like It's about standing in line at the, in the ba- for the bathroom at Starbucks or wherever you are and having your eyes up. And being present and having a body language. I mean, majority of what we say is not the words, it's the body language. So it's like having a body language posture that says, I'm here to talk to you. I remember I was in the grocery store just last week and I was talking to somebody in the peanut butter aisle. I was like, which one do you like? Because I'm sitting here in, a, in the throes of capitalism. I can't choose what peanut butter I want. And so it's like, you can just talk to anyone. Hi, just saying hi and striking up, a, how's it going? You know, whatever, And just make yourself available for conversations. There's a lot of magic that can happen in your life when you do that.
1: And you suggest doing that like within, not only like maybe within a company that you're in? I think in your day-to-day life,
0: within your company, like especially in the world of hybrid work, I was just telling a client yesterday that she has to go to her office every other week for three days. And I'm like, never go to lunch alone on those three days. Like network, get to know people, ask people outside of your team to have lunch or a cup of coffee it's so important that we see networking as a way of life and not something that we just do when we need something because that's what makes it feel awful. And I only network with people that I think are amazing. So I don't care if John Doe is the CEO of The Biggest Thing Ever and he's the ticket for me to get this big opportunity. I'm not gonna network with him because our body feels it when we sell ourselves out. And so it's like being an abundant mindset, know that there's people everywhere you can talk to, and don't abandon yourself. So I network with people that I would almost like want to be friends with, that I want to help, that I like. And so I have a genuine desire to support them and I'm excited about it. And so the people that I resonate with, I offer everything. I'm like, what can I do to help you? How can I support you? And the people I don't, I'm kind, I'm present, I support them how I can and I move on and I don't keep the relationship warm.
1: That's such a good point because it does come out and it comes through when you actually admire or respect someone that you're trying to get to know. And I will say this, um, I know when I was in my corporate career, you know, I didn't have much of an interest in networking. I like, I kind of would hide like at my desk over lunchtime. I was like, don't ask me the lunch, don't ask me the lunch. I was just trying to get through my day because I had such an interest in growing Journey to Launch. And so, but what I did do was I did that with Journey to Launch and that industry, like the personal finance industry. So I remember going to my first conference, FinCon, and like, that was a game changer. I would say that for me, in terms of, I was able to meet other personal finance creators, like in the flesh, people that I used to listen to in my car, on the commute and bloggers. So I would say if you are in a corporate career and you do have an interest outside of that, still, if that's your bread and butter, you know you still you still want to have friends and allies there so don't just completely check out if you're planning to stay there for a while but it's so important that you can do that on the side in the other thing that you're interested in find those industry events or those conferences even if they're virtual nowadays to connect reach out to people you admire doing the same thing And I think this is important, actually, I feel like you probably are really good at this is that the way you introduce yourself or the way you do reach out, especially if it's a cold, like reach out and you don't know that person is important because we're talking about like networking and the value of that and who, you know, but it's just like sometimes I'll get emails um, from people and it's just like an ask what I can do for them. And it's really not like, there's no exchange, there's nothing. And then there are some emails I get, they're cold emails, I don't know the person, but the way they present themselves, I know that they listen to the podcast and or are really supporters. And then if they're not asking me, you know, for anything off the bat, they're really just like providing just something, um, something of value. So I just feel like that's important, because I feel like that's a lost art. And I get a lot more emails or contact from people who just are asking for something. And it's like, I'm never going to connect with you genuinely that way.
0: Yeah. It's hard. Like, we just haven't learned this in school. And everybody's... It's like that quote. Like, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. It's hard. People don't know how to go together. And so they just make these asks without... I'm always thinking to myself, like, how can I give to this person? And I don't have anything on my mind that I want back. There are so many people that I've helped that I never wanted anything from. But I feel good. And for some reason, people offer me things all the time. And it's just a way of life. Like, I've just making, it's like that book, The Go-Giver. You know, you just keep giving and you get back. And it's not about depleting yourself. It's about being mindful about who you're giving to. And I love what you're saying about events. You know, Eventbrite, Meetup.com, um, Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups. There's just so many virtual ways to connect with people. You can join a LinkedIn group and just contribute every single week to what people are talking about. And that's such a diamond in the rough way to just take connections from online on to offline, Have, meet up with people in your actual city for a cup of coffee that you're resonating with. Um, and you don't need, you know, there's a lot of introverts out there. And so, I always want to tell them, like, it's not about going wide and having quantity. It's about going deep and having quality. Like, can you find a kindred spirit in that networking group that you really vibe with? And can you really support them and just go deeper with them? Uh, You also asked me about this concept of a U turn in general. And networking is kind of a response, I think, to knowing what you want. The world really does make way when you know what you want. And the problem is, a lot of people don't know what they want. And one of the things I've realized after writing my whole book about making a U-turn, and the book kind of has three different parts. The first part is realizing you need to make one. Most people don't even realize that they're off kilter. They're just burnt out. And I, like I was saying, I think burnout is feedback that you're just walking on a path that's not for you. I don't think it's doing too much of something you love. I think it's doing something that's not for you, working outside of your d- zone of genius. Most people aren't doing a self audit. They're not asking themselves, Am I happy? Um, the other day, I sat down with a very dear friend and she said, How are you? And I could hear in her voice, she was like, How are you actually? And it was so interesting. I sat with her at coffee and I said, oh, Man, how am I? How are you, Ashley? How are you feeling? And I was like, well, my body's really tired. I just had COVID and got over it. And I was like, but I'm I'm optimistic. How am I feeling about my life? And it was so good to ask myself that. And so I make a practice now to ask myself at least a couple times a week in my journal, I write at the top of the page, how are you? And I start to write how I'm really feeling. And so my invitation for anyone is to really ask yourself, how are you? How are you feeling? And do a self-audit. You know, I ask in my TED Talks, I ask in my books, what do you know that you wish you didn't know? Where can you be more honest with yourself about where you are? Because you can't make a U-turn until you notice that something needs to come. And and what do I define as a U-turn? To me, it means that critical moment of transformation where you're super honest with yourself about something that's not working for you. And instead of muffling it down, you listen to that wisdom for once. So that's just part one of the work of making a U-turn is doing that self audit. Part two I talk about in my book is, is called Turn Signals. And it's about looking at those little moments in your life where you were being nudged somewhere else and you chose not to listen. Your turn signals are about your intuition. And then the third part is about course correcting. It's about making those choices that really honor the truth of where your intuition is and where you are. You know, It could look like taking that part-time job, starting that network, doing all of these outside things to to anchor in. And there's a lot of science behind the idea of faking it till you make it, telling people you're doing something, owning something you want. Like, I remember when I started my business as a career coach, which now I identify a lot more as a content creator, a keynote speaker, a podcast host, and all these things. But I remember saying, I'm, I'm a career coach now. And I really had like probably two clients, but I owned it. And the world met me there. And so it's all about levels of ownership. It's all about levels of self-awareness uh, making a U-turn.
1: So, so with this U-turn, you know, there's this concept of the sunk cost fallacy, right? And, you know, this idea that we put so much energy, time even, right, like money into developing or going forward on a path of a career. Not only do you have your own sunk cost fallacy, but if you had parents who helped you or emo- the emotional investment of your parents or just friends and the identity of, of that career that you're currently in, it's so hard, right? Like, I mean, I I didn't feel it as much for me when I like quit my job because I've always been like, you know, I'm gonna like do things my way. But I know a lot of people struggle with this. Like, they identify as that, you know, maybe they're a lawyer, maybe they're just working in this field, and they took it took a while to get there, but they got there and they're like, you know what? This is not this is not it. How does then someone like? turn away and U-turn from like all the money they put into that career, the education and like, how do you overcome not feeling like you're giving up on something? Great
0: question. Well, I want to remind everyone that there's the U-turn that you make in traffic where you go back the way you came. And then there's the U-turn that I write about in my book and talk about, which is Y-O-U-turn. And the reason that it's so important to look at that is because you need to remember that your degree, your career, it's here to serve you. You are not here to serve it. And when we live a life where we're serving the things we've done versus the person that we are, we forget that we can always, quote unquote, start over, and we're never actually starting over. We can take the thread of the past and make sense of it for the future. There's skills we've built in the past that can launch us into the future. And most of that comes down to how do you talk about yourself? How do you talk about your past and make sense of it for people who can help you in the direction of your future? That's on you. And so I would say yeah does going to medical school or law school and having a half million dollars of student debt really suck when you don't want to have that anymore absolutely is it real that you need to pay off that debt absolutely and is it real that if you're if you're anything less than 75 years old cuz to me like people are retiring later people are li- living longer you've got years ahead of you, decades. I've had clients come into my practice. Uh, I have worked with corporations that I've consulted with where I'm talking to the CEO who's 70 years old and he's had five careers and each one was 12 years. You know, it's like really looking at how life is short, but it's also really long. And you can start anytime and it's up to you when you want to be who you are. And it's really a way of life. Like, you know, Brene Brown talks about living vulnerably is a choice. And when you live vulnerably, you have deeper relationships um, with yourself, with others, but it hurts. It hurts to live vulnerably because you have to choose yourself and other people and inconveniences. It's inconvenient to be happy. It's not for the faint of heart. You know, it's inconvenient to say yes to things that you want because it hurts sometimes to put yourself out there for them. But if you want to live that way, that's where the fulfillment is And so, you know, I'll meet you in your 70s, 80s, and I'll meet you there. And if you want to be happy and fulfilled, then start getting honest with yourself, start taking action, and stop being so afraid of change.
1: Yes, I love the um, idea. You're not going to be serving that degree or that debt that you took on to fulfill whatever of the desires you had in the past. Because I always find it fascinating when I do meet people, right? And I get their background, even if they have changed careers, like, ex-teachers but then they're like they're business owners and they have such a knack and skill for teaching and it comes out or speaking um tiffany the budget she comes to my mind when i think about this because she has such a powerful brand and platform about teaching about money and she was a preschool teacher and you can literally see that passion and her skills coming out and and it's a big part of why she is as successful as she is right and then i think about um you know some of the uh, ex lawyers or doctors that I, like I see have their own business and and whatever skill sets that make you a good doctor and like that like kind of following protocol and it's coming out in the other thing that they're doing so you're right i think anyone listening who's felt like well this next thing i want to do feels like it has nothing to do with this thing i've been invested in it's like no this is the fabric that has created or will create or continues to create the success that you're going forward to do but you just have to you just got to pursue it you just got to go for it
0: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because one of the biggest things I've learned, I don't know if it was through writing my book or interviewing so many people on my podcast, which I'm really excited to have you on. I think there's three lily pads in in somebody's career. And some people never make it past lily pad one. The first one is calibration. It's experiment. It's who am I? Where am I gifted? And you just try things on. And you have to give yourself permission to be on that lily pad. And if you don't, you're going to grab onto things that aren't really for you and latch onto them and you're never going to find your dharma. The second lily pad you kind of swim over to through experimenting is your gift. And that's what I'm really here to help people do. And that's why the message of my work is don't do what you love, do what you are. Because like I said, I love cupcakes, but I'm not meant to be a baker. Who I am is a person that's very good at words, so. You know, and I talk about these core skill sets a lot in my work. So once you make it to the second lily pad, that's for someone who knows what their gift is. They know, like for me, I know communication is my talent and it can look many ways. It can look like me having a coaching practice, giving speeches, being on this podcast, being on my own podcast, whatever it is. And so I think it's really important to be able to ask yourself, what is my gift and what is all the ways that I can express it? And sometimes that has to do with whether you're introverted or extroverted. If you want to express your gift externally, it's going to look one way. If you want to be more internal, for me, like a words person, that might look like me being behind my laptop writing all the time versus on stage speaking as an extrovert. So it's important to kind of ask yourself about that piece. Once you're working in the realm of your gift, opportunities start coming to you because people who are working in sync with their gift is actually quite rare. A lot of people don't take the time or the willingness or go through the pain that comes with putting themselves out there restarting, trying on things, and really getting into their zone of gift. And it's crazy because when you think about it, what we're doing as a society is kind of the equivalent of telling someone in preschool, like the first person you have a crush on, marry them. That's what we're doing in our career. We're like, the first thing you pick, build it. Versus like, the first thing you pick is an experiment on the way into who you are. So, you know, once you get into that second lily pad and you're in your gift, you start getting opportunities and your life becomes a sifting game. It becomes yes, no, yes, no. Do I want this opportunity? Do I want that opportunity? And your job is to hone your intuition and be able to say which one is best for you because opportunities can be a high form of distraction when you're not really being aware of them. You can distract yourself versus really tapping into the abundance of them. You really have to know what opportunities are yes for you When you take the right opportunities, if you choose to do that, I think you swim over to the third lily pad, which is your dharma. That's your soul work. And most people don't really get there, which is okay. But you know when you see someone like Kobe Bryant, for example, when he passed away and I was watching all of his interviews, I could see he was in his dharma. He was in something higher than basketball with himself. And um, I experienced dharma on the third lily pad just once in my life. You know, I experience it sometimes when I'm podcasting, but mostly when I was writing my book. And so, you know, it's also something that you can kind of flit in and out of. But I want for everyone to at least have the opportunity to experience that third lily pad, because it's so fulfilling.
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I love the lily lily pad concepts. And you're so right about a lot of people get stuck on that first one. And they're so afraid to kind of like jump or like you said, they don't even know what, what it will take to get them to the second. Let's talk a little bit about the Dharma aspect of this. Like, what does it mean to feel? like how do you know you're in it because now as you were describing it I definitely feel like I'm in Lilypad 2 by quitting my my career and doing this right now and the way that things have unfolded for me I know I'm on the right path and I'm doing a lot of the work you know that I want to do but I do feel like there's a lot more for me to uncover and do and I don't know that this is the last stop for me in terms of career and what I ultimately want to do right so that third lilypad how do you know when you've reached it? What does it feel for you? You said you felt it when you're reaching your book. Is it more like in flow, like when you're doing something? Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. A state. Mm-hmm. It's like when I was writing my book, I felt this like, like a, a loss of time, a sense of like um, chills coming over me a lot of the time. And it was like a message from me from the sky to the world beyond me. I felt like a vehicle. And it's so amazing to feel that way, to feel like there's nowhere you want to be but creating what you're creating, and you're here for it. This is, like, what you want to do in your life. And I felt, like, when I wrote my book, like, I'm complete. Like, if I leave the planet now, I I, I use this portal to give the planet what I had. And it's really exciting that you're in the second lily pad because – it's your gateway, and your work on the second lily pad, I think, is just hone your intuition to really say, like, how do I get more connected to my body's knowing so that I don't get distracted by opportunities, and I take them. I think the second piece is to work on your mindset when you're on lily pad, too, because I have a friend who won uh, Miss USA, and when she was giving up her crown, um, she was kind of devastated. because she like worked so hard for this opportunity and her year passed so quickly and she was kind of down about it. And I remember talking to her and saying, well, I feel like you're, you're missing how big your life can be. And we all have a responsibility to make our future bigger than our past. And so I think the question to ask yourself from a mindset mindset standpoint on the second lily pad is what is the biggest life and the highest expression that this gift could have, that I have. So if your gift is communication or words, or if your gift is being an innovator, or your gift is being of service, like if you're a helper, if your gift is really good at coordination and project managing, if your gift is really good at analysis, like figure out what is that core skill set. And that's something I talk about in chapter two of my book, but but that I just talk about all the time, because it's like, how do I increase the volume to a 10 out of 10 on this? And instead of forcing the answer to that question, be with the question in your life. So life is the ultimate coach, right? Like, instead of hiring a life coach to tell you things, which could be useful, maybe you wanna be in an experiment with life and say, I'm gonna pay attention to what i'm noticing in life whether where these nudges are where these breadcrumbs are of who am i having conversations with that feel fascinating who who has my skill set that is living a higher expression of it that i can consider that for me and and what do i need to go out there and do or what conversations do i need to have to start playing with that
1: i love that you um just mentioned taking your actual life your day to day because sometimes i think people put too much pressure on themselves to find that right like i don't want now, um, or even myself, like, cause I'm writing my book now and I definitely do not feel those <laughs> Dharma moments when I'm writing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like hard. Right. But it doesn't mean like, it's not going to be great. Right. It's just like part of the process. And so I find that people put a lot of pressure on themselves that it does flow and like they're missing on the little things. They're missing on the magic that's happening all around them because they're waiting for this big aha. You know, like people who like are saying, like think falling in love is just like the movies. When sometimes it's really subtle, you know, and just like, it's different in real life. So I love that, you know, part of this is not just like, okay, like this is grand. You know, at one point I, I felt like when I'm typing on my computer, there should be fireworks going off as like, I'm typing the words, like, you know, or like you think like some people are creating this magical work and like there's rounds of applauses happening. It's like a whole production. And really it's like these subtle moments and little feelings that you have to, like you said, tune yourself to realize that are happening.
0: 100%. And you know, I love what you're saying about fireworks because I think a lot of life and intuition is about managing your nervous system. You can't really hear what you think or feel what you feel when you're dysregulated. And a lot of us are dysregulated from our childhoods. Like most of the population is not securely attached, meaning that. As a baby, they didn't get their needs met in some way, not because their parents are wrong for it, but because they're human and they do what they do. And then we needed something they couldn't give us. And we learn to be dysregulated in our body. We learn to be anxious. We learn to be afraid of intimacy. And I think a lot of intuition is clearing that pain and trauma out so that you can really hear the truth and you're not in fear. Like Rumi says, you're not moving from fear, you're moving from love. When you move from fear, that's why self-fulfilling prophecies happen, because I remember when I made a lot of money in my business and I lost it all, Um, and a lot of it was because I was afraid of losing my money when I started making it, because my dad lost his money when I was a kid, and I didn't want to go through that ever again. So I remember hiring a bunch of consultants to tell me what I should do when I started making real money, like, oh my gosh, how do I keep this going? And instead of listening to that smart self that made it happen, I started listening to all these consultants. My business got messy and I lost all my money. And so I think it's really important to remember that you're, you create your fears because you behave differently when you're moving from fear. You, you move out of fear. It makes you act weird. You're dysregulated. So a lot of the work is just to regulate yourself as well.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people like that, that imbalance becomes so normal because you're so used to operating at that deficiency that you forget, like, that's not normal. That's not okay. I know you've, you've coached and you help, you know, a lot of people make these U-turns or have these realizations. Do you have like any examples of someone where you felt like it was like a, it could either be someone later in life or just a big change that they made that they were happy, whether it was like a complete change of career or something slightly that they did differently?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've helped so many people over the years and I haven't private coached in a, um, as much in a while. I mean, I take on people sometimes, which is super fun. Right now, I'm actually coaching someone who studied extraterrestrial events at Harvard. And she studies quantum physics and um, she's trying to figure out how to kind of turn herself into a brand. And she currently works in an artificial intelligence company. But... The most interesting transformation I would say is somebody who worked as a doctor and she had that sunken cost feeling of like, I went to medical school, I worked so hard to get here. And she ended up working in fashion. That was her real dream. And took her, she, she started as a coordinator, making probably 60, 70K a year out of being a doctor, which was a huge leap of vulnerability and faith and trust. And she was like 35 when she did it. Now she's like 42, so seven years ago. And she's like running Fashion Week and doing all these things for her brand. And she loves it. She's so alive. So backing up is not always backing down. And we have to remember that.
1: Yes, yes, I love that. What comes to mind, my, my friend who listens to the show, um, she's a doctor and she always texts me when things resonate with her. And she's like, How do you know what's in my mind? So I feel like she's going to do that, <laughs> with what you just said. <laughs> ah, love that. Okay, so Ashley, I would love for you to tell uh, people where they can find out more about you, your work, your podcast, your book, all the things.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy. Like, you're so much fun to talk to. I feel like you pulled so many thoughts out of me today. So thank you for listening, everyone. The best place to find me is the U-Turn podcast, Y-O-U-Turn, two different words, two separate words. And then also my book um, is sold everywhere books are sold. I'm on Instagram at Ashley Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. And yeah, I would love to hear what you thought of this episode.
1: Yes, yes. Tag us on Instagram at Journey to Launch and at Ashley Stahl. I'll make sure I'll put our handles, especially Ashley's contact, in the episode show notes so you can um, find out more about her. And let us know what you think. I always love when you screenshot and if there was like a quote or something that you're going to do differently. Like I love actionable podcasts and tips. And I hopefully there was something in this that you can actually do after you listen, if you got to rewind it and take some notes to really do to start following those breadcrumbs in your life. So thank you again, Ashley, for coming on. Thank you. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show. If you hear something that interests you, sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, And last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers.